I think every day I try to use ChatGPT for some use case. And I went in and I said, hey, what do I tell recruiters who are slacking? Right, I mean, obviously that's not the words I use, but I said, what what is some advice for recruiters who aren't doing a good job pipelining candidates? I mean, it it was beautiful what it came out. And part of me is like so excited, part of me is scared to death. Why was that so easy? Um, You know, and the people that I work with, that's all they have to do, why do they need me? Right, even me is what I do as a consultant. So it's a lot, but I always say a fool with a tool is still a fool. Today, I'm talking with Anita Nielsen, author of Beat the Bots, a book that delves into technology and the human touch. How do we coexist? And does the very nature of AI, technology, and how it's being leveraged today and in the future really replace the impact of the human connection and ultimately the emotional bond that occurs, whether negative or positive, when two or more people connect? whether in person or virtually, as well as we are today. Hello, Anita, and welcome. Hello, so excited to be with you today. I know, I am really excited. And so I have my copy right here, a Beat the Bots, that you gave me back in 2019. And um, I believe that that's when we met. It was was back in Miami, wasn't it? It was in Florida, I don't, yeah, Miami would have been at that one conference, yep. So you and I were talking recently about your book and that it was really ahead of its time. But now it's, uh, you know, it's super timely. And, you know, I was thinking about it and I thought, well, now you don't have to write a book about this. You already did. All you have to do is promote it and talk about it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So funny. So I wanted to get right into it. Um, I want you to give me, if you would, a little bit of what we call the cliff note summary of beat the bots which is really the the heart of our discussion today so what's the book about and you know talk to everyone a little bit about why you wrote it for sure so i think um so i'll start with the context i think that's the most important thing i work in b2b sales i do coaching consulting so salespeople are my people and at that point in 2018 something like that there was an article that came out that was very fear-mongering like, you know, salespeople, you're going to lose your jobs to mm-hmm. robots or to machines or to AI. And people were scared, like my people were scared. And so I thought this is nonsense. As long as you continue to do what you're good at as a human, that robot, at least not yet, can do those, can't do those things. So focus on what you're good at, let it do everything else. And that was like, that was my perspective. And I tried to evangelize it. But ultimately, I thought, you know what, I have to write a book in order for this to get to everybody because it hurt my feelings, frankly, that people were so scared. You know, it's hard enough to be a salesperson. You don't need that kind of pressure on top of everything. Um, And so the book basically goes into a thought process around the last point of differentiation we really have in sales and in so many different relationships is who we are, what we stand for and how we create value from that for whether it's our buyer or somebody we're trying to connect with. That's where we can differentiate. Everything else can be imitated. And so I go into how do you do that, starting with what do you have to know? How do you ask the right questions? Um, Almost like you could use them for a first date or you can use them for a first sale. (laughs) It's a technique. And so I think my philosophy was teach folks how to think and then trust that they're smart enough to contextualize 
and be able to make it work for them. So I just go through the, the steps and the framework on how they need to look at things and what they can do to bring their best, um, best of their humanity to the equation so that they can walk away knowing that a machine couldn't have done what they just did. Oh, that's interesting. So the rate of development of technology, right? So when we talk about, when we think about 2019 and I'm thinking about that event and I was showing how, um, we, from a sales perspective, we were talking about how technology changed sales and it like kind of went, I had this, this line that was going across that all of a sudden kind of went like this as we we talked about um we had primarily you know field sales and even thinking back in the day when you know uh people would take merchants would take their wares right and bring them across but it was all face to face mm -hmm. and then technology right the internet the buyer that ha understood how to make decisions on his or her own self right so now we're looking at ai layered in there right so that's the next evolution you know so we've gone from search engines changing buyer behavior to now this ai brain power almost right that can do everything from write papers to help with decisioning you know and i think that that's like the tip of the iceberg so i just would like to know um from your perspective i mean i know there's so much to figure out about ai the latest technology but how do you think that that is impacting, can impact our interaction with each other? And, you know, what, what advice would you give leaders out there in, you know, how we navigate this new world? It is so big, right? So I mm -hmm. try to think of one piece to focus on. You just keep going down a rabbit hole. Right? Yeah. What I found is that the, there are several people, whether you are um, a leader or you are a salesperson that have figured out this chat GPT, that's the one that's the most um, prevalent right now, yeah. the ones right behind it, that it's a tool and you can use it for anything. And it does, it blurs the line between professional and personal. You can ask it for a recipe and you can ask it for interview questions. And the idea then becomes, how do you wield this technology to get the best outcome for whatever it is you're trying to do. So one of the scary ones just the other day that I thought of was um, if a sales professional, for example, or anybody is going into a job interview, they can really prep at another level that they could not have before. It's always been kind of hard to analyze competition of a company. So if you're going into a company, doing competitive intel is hard. Well, ChatGPT will tell you just about everything you need to know to carry a conversation. And that's scary because now that person who's doing the hiring, and this is where I think I empathize with women's leaders, is if you're not really good at asking that next level question, they're mm. going to do you, right? So they've, they've done their online learning and they can even make it their own word so it doesn't seem like it. But if you are just going to go, or the recruiter, if you're going to go that first level, you're going to get fooled. And then when they come into your company, now you thought that there's somebody who had this wisdom and understanding. A, they probably forgot it because they crammed. Um, and B, what little of it there was to begin with. So that's a that's a big one for me. And women leaders, especially, you know, we constantly interviewing and hiring. And it as women leaders, it matters to us who's on our team, and it matters that there's authenticity there, in general. So that's a biggie. Um, there's just there's a lot. I, I think every day I try to use ChatGPT for some use case. You know, I've worked with a client that's a staffing company, and yeah. I went in and I said, "Hey, what do I tell recruiters who are slacking?" Right? I mean, obviously that's not the words I use, but I said, right. "What are some? What is some advice for recruiters who aren't doing a good job pipelining candidates?" 
I mean, it, it was beautiful what it came out. And part of me is like so excited. Part of me is scared to death. Why was that so easy? Um, you know, and the people that I work with, that's all they have to do. Why do they need me? Right. Even me is what I do as a consultant. So it's a lot, but I always say a fool with a tool is still a fool. Wow. So it's more about how we interact with the technology and what we, um, our ingenuity and how we are looking at this tool and the good it can do in the context of, of whatever we're looking at life in general, specific job, specific company it's on us. And that's a big responsibility. So I want to ask you about this. Um, you mentioned a couple of things. So the first thing is if I'm like looking at hiring or building that new relationship, it could be friends. It could be, you mentioned the dating, anything. So how do you decipher and how do you understand if somebody's the real deal or not anymore. <laughs> oh, it's scary. I mean, so it's college, really college scary. essays, right? Um, any of those things. So it, I think it boils down to that next level of question. So yeah. anything that you stay at the surface level, if it was something that you could have Googled, it'll, yeah. they'll know it. We already know that today. ChatGPT just takes it to the next level. It gives you more detail than that first level Google search does. And so anything that's high level is you're going to be able to tell that a machine gave it to them or AI did only if you ask deeper questions, right? So ask for experience, ask for experience. So tell me, so for example, one of the things was um, find out what your sales methodology is that a company uses. And then from there, go look up that sales methodology, learn enough about it so you can speak to it in your interview, which sounds all great for that candidate, but if they go in and they start referencing a couple of words or some of the vernacular from a technology or from a methodology, the person who's hiring can actually think, oh, wow, they already know this. They're not going to have to ramp up on this unless they ask deeper questions. So tell me, when did you use that upfront contract or when did you use that pre-call plan? Right. Now, they're going to get exposed because they don't actually have the knowledge. It's hollow. So we are going to have to get to the level where we're asking deeper questions and we're digging more which unfortunately not everybody does. And I think curiosity is gonna become one of the most valued skill sets. Mm. It's always been important for me to train people in sales, but if yeah. we wanna see the wood for the trees with all, with all this technology out there, we gotta get really curious and dig into why somebody is saying what they're saying. And is it really them saying it? Scary, scary, scary stuff. But it I also really think we have, to, we have to adopt. We have to adapt it, adapt yeah. to it. And we have to adopt the bits of it that are going to help us, but be prepared for the bits that potentially could hurt us. Although it would seem clear enough, Anita, that um, AI is a little bit different from like virtual communication, like what we're using today from meeting face to face, um, all of it. Um, it's like now we've gone from when we think about what AI is doing and how we started off with technology and social media it was like this race to get people's attention and there was a lot of marketing going on in that space and now that there's like information overload apparent you know like too much attention it's they're calling it like the race to intimacy the one that can create that emotional connection and so i'd love to get your take on creating emotional connection you know the bot versus the human the virtual communication versus the face-to-face, -face. you know, and, and who do you think is going to win that war? You know, I'd love to hear what you have 
to say or what your thinking is today on all that? For sure. I mean, it's one of those things where I just, I don't know, but I do think that there are things about humans that at least not in my lifetime, I don't think that machines are going to replicate. So for example, one of the things I talk about in the book is this um, hotel that we stayed at and how they had a little robot. We'd called and asked for, I don't even know what it was, shampoo or something. And they deployed this robot to the room <laughs> and it knocked on the door and it had, it had a little tray where it had the shampoo. I was like, this is so cool. It's just, it was really neat. And this is around the time just, um, just before I was writing this book. So the example kind of got in there. Now, it got my attention big time, right? And it, it delighted me, but it didn't create the kind of impression because the emotion wasn't really involved, right? Like it was exciting and it was interesting, but it didn't endear itself to me. So this is kind of one of the ways oh, I look at it. So, delight, you can, I think these machines can be made to create delight, like especially in service and, and things like that. But is that machine able to endear itself to me? I think we're getting there because if you have, um, AI that's actually coaching you or trying to teach you and trying to build your confidence, your, your emotions are going to get engaged with that machine. And there's a lot of power there that scares wow. the life out of me, right? Like if we were able to use um, AI, for example, in therapeutic situations, mm -hmm. therapy, the therapist wields so much power wow. and there's so much welfare that they have of that person. But if you program a machine to say something, it could literally <laughs> change that person's life in a bad way. So these are the things that really worry me. How is this going to play out? And in that way, I think it is a war. It's going to be the war of ethics. Like what's ethical, what's moral versus what's possible. And that's, that's what I'm juggling with that in my own mind. Like every time there's a scenario where I'm like, wow, that's scary. I think about the flip side of it and it could be so valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you've got someone, if you've got an AI, I think we were talking before about an AI that's, you know, just calling people like teenagers, for example, in social media, it's drawing yeah. in and it's, you know, cheering them on, even if it's not the right thing to cheer them on for. As a mom, that makes me not sleep, right? That's right. horrifying. However, if you have a tool that is maybe a therapeutic tool, like, you know, something that you can go online and just get some coaching. And that AI is taught to show you what is valuable about you. And it gives you prompts or it gives you ideas on how you can be better at self-care, for example. I love that AI. Can't get enough of that in this wow. world. It's the same kind of thing, but it's such different contexts. Yeah. So it boils down to contextualizing, I think. We have to get smart enough to look at the ethical and moral implications of these technologies and tools and see which context are they going to create good for humanity and which context are they potentially going to create danger for humanity. Yeah, and that's where we have to dig in. Um, you know, there's no right answer right now. Everyone is just learning this and it's scary as heck, but there's so much goodness in it, too, which makes it even more challenging. So I had dinner last night with my daughter and she graduated from college uh, through the pandemic. And, you know, she never really knew a, a world where people were working full time in an office. And she was talking to me about that, about um, well, we were discussing how Amazon, I think you may have read that Amazon is asking, well, they're mandating people to be in the office three days a week. And they're talking about collaboration. And they're talking about development of people and developing relationships and mentoring and all the things that we know happens in a face-to-face -face relationship. And she said, mom, I just don't think it's fair. And I said, fair, 
what do you mean fair? And then I had to stop and I had to remember that she doesn't know a work world that's different. She's, you know, but yet she grew up with a working mom, but I had my own business for so long. Maybe she saw me differently. I don't know, but um, I think it's interesting. And then almost in the next breath, she talked about one of her roommates that um, has a job that she thought she was going to love. It's part-time remote and it's hybrid working, right? So part in office, part remote. And she said she hates it because she's not collaborating and meeting people and developing and they've got staggered hours apparently. And she is looking for a job where she can be around people. Um, so as leaders, I'd like to get your take on that because I know that they're grappling within office, out of office and how do people continue to develop? And then you as a leader, um, you know, those of us more mature in our careers, we need a different level of, of mentorship, of development, let's say. But still, I find that I learn from younger people too, right? So, you know, like how, do, how should leaders be thinking about that? This is such, it's in our house too, it's like always a conversation. So I believe, and I, I don't know that I'll ever change on this point. I believe that in a work setting, you should be around the people that you work with. I don't even know what that right amount of time is, but I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of all remote. And I'll tell you what, um, one of my clients is all remote, their company, and then they merged with another company that's not. The cultures of those two companies are drastically different. And it is like a case study for me, right? I'm back in my MBA trying to think about these cultures, but the reliance of the people at the culture where you know they've all kind of been in the same office, they rely on each other for emotional support, for work support, for collaboration, for um, being creative, all of those types of things. Wow. The others, they're just used to kind of being on their own. And if I looked just without bias at which one of these is more effective, just effective in terms of what they're selling, what they're trying to do with their companies, the company that has the people that are all there. But now wow. those people don't want to be there because they know that the other company was all remote. And so this is a monster quandary because we, we don't yeah. want to let everyone go work from home at that company. That culture is going to die. So this is an ongoing conversation. I will never be the person that says, go remote 100% of the time. It's just, that's not my nature because I think that that connection between humans, there's so many dimensions of um, positive value that comes out of that, whether it's just, you know, like I said, supporting each other. It's yeah. very difficult on camera, although we've gotten really good at it, to, to make that kind of deep connection that you can just standing in the same space as somebody. I will be honest, however, I was the biggest naysayer when the pandemic started of being on Zoom. Like I was kicking and screaming about it. I hate this. I'm never going to be able to connect. I was wrong. I was able to connect. And that oh, kind of interesting. Me. Yep. Yeah. I, and I was like, wow, I actually like this. I'd rather get somebody on the on camera. I didn't think that was going to happen. So there's ways that we can make it work. And I'm sure there's some brilliant scientists thinking about it. I like hybrid because it, it's kind of the best of both worlds. But how you manage that hybrid two days in office, three days in office, I think it depends on the company and the context. If you're an up and coming company and you're trying to solve some problem that requires creativity, you need to have people in the office to work with each other. Otherwise, you're not harnessing the um, benefit of having brilliant people. If, it's like one plus one is three is what I was always taught, right? So if you get two people in there and they start brainstorming, what you're going to get out of that is so much bigger than what went in. Yeah. And you're not getting that if you're remote. So it, it's a toughie. 
it, this is a hard, again, this is like, this is the thing. All of this technology, all these tools are just making it hard for us to figure out what is right. And that's where that moral, the ethical, all those things come into play. We can lean on science, I think, for some studies on what works and what doesn't work. But man, it, it, I don't think there is a right answer right now. We're going to be talking about this, I think, for decades. And we're going to be talking about the impact that, you know, let's face it, it was the pandemic has had not just on the evolution of technology, but on people's psyche, on like everything, I that's think. Yeah. yeah, that psyche thing is really scary to me. I mean, I look at these children that went through um, remote school. They've never known a world like unlike your daughter. They've never known a world where they weren't in a school. Right and now you pull, especially like teenagers who th their life is their friends. Yeah, you know, I can't even quantify the, the amount of damage, but there's been studies and they're talking about like 40 percent higher rate of suicide and um, depression in children that wow. were in school during that pandemic versus five years ago, 10 years ago ago, whatever it was. But that's what happens when you remove people from people. We are social animals. That's one of the benefits of being human. I completely agree with you. Um, so let me ask you about this. You are around, you got an advisory firm and you're focused on coaching, training, developing people in sales. Mm -hmm. So I would love to hear from you from leadership to the front line. You're there. Um, what would you say would be like the top i'm going to pick like three things that are on the minds of leaders today as far as just challenges that they're having and um you know what advice do you have around some of those big challenges but i'd love to you know just hear like what's going on out there what's on their mind yeah sure so um i think that the fact that we have these technologies mm. it needs to be on leaders minds on where is that power going to be used for good in this organization? And also think about where could people potentially use it for bad purposes? Mm. We have got to get smart about that as leaders because there are dangers. And I, I couldn't even tell you all of them because they're so based on what the business is and what the company is trying to achieve. But there's things that those people that are using these technologies can do that would not work well for the company. So somebody in a company better be thinking about how can this be used? How can the power be used for evil? versus okay how does this power get used for good pop by power i mean technology ai etc and figure out how to harness that good and how to eliminate that evil so there's a lot at the leader level that has to take place in terms of analyzing these tools and how they should exist in their environment in their corporation leaning back again on values mission vision principles all those things because it would be very easy for some of these tools to decimate a culture in the wrong hands. It absolutely could do that. So that's a that's a biggie as leaders. I think we need to take a look at um, is the contextualizing. Now, one other use case that's interesting to me in sales in particular. Mm -hmm. So salespeople notoriously guilty as charged me too. We don't love vast amounts of data. Like we'll begrudgingly put things in CRM if we have to and if someone's looking, but that's not our instinct. Our instinct is, as you know, I'm making a generality, but my observation is salespeople, we want to just go out there and talk. We want to sell. We want to close deals. We're not that fanatical about going into tools and technology and, and getting data. 
what it's going to allow both leaders and salespeople do. So for example, if you look at your CRM, now there are tools, I can't remember what it was called, Claude or something maybe, but there's an AI. Yes, it's called Claude. We were just talking about Claude it this morning. Yes. It's bananas. So it's like this, you can put in a CSV. So you get from salesforce.com or whatever your CRM is, download a CSV of all this scary monster, vast amounts of data, which a salesperson is allergic to, frankly, in general. Yeah. Get that, put it into something like a Claude, if that's the correct one or whatever the AI is. Now you can have a conversation about your performance based on that data that you wow. never were gonna sit down and figure out the story. So for example, um, you know, Friendly Neighborhood AI, can you tell me which stage in the sales process I spend the longest time on, right? And then other AI, can you suggest to me what I can do to accelerate this sales process? I can be like, I'm a wizard, right? As a sales professional, I can be yeah. a wizard. But before any of that happens, that sales professional has to have the curiosity. They have to have that um, ongoing learning. So in order for these tools to work, there have to be people that are curious and okay to change. That's the hardest part. So as leaders, when we're hiring, when we're trying to grow our people, we've got to figure out how to make them um, not so averse to change because the power of these tools lies in our ability to adopt them and that's a big change so as leaders we need to be thinking about that as well but i mean if i could as a leader now thinking about the sales leader same scenario i can get insight into my employee that they have no idea that i can get right so we go let's go look at win-loss analysis for example um you know of this persona in my different opportunities which persona is working the best with the salesperson and which persona is constantly a persona that they can't communicate with? Okay, good. Now I need to go figure out for my enablement team and maybe with some help from chat GPT, what do I need to teach this sales professional to have a better conversation with that persona? Or maybe I just stop letting them talk to that persona altogether, right? There's so many different things that you can do. It's time, it's energy. And the only way it's gonna work is if you have that curiosity and that openness to change. As leaders, we have to model those things. So if I'm a leader at a company, I need to make sure that I'm sharing my adventures with AI and how it can be used. And that means I'm going to have to learn it. So those are probably oh, the big Yeah. Wow. Ugh. I, I do have a chat GPT account. I've been out a few times on it, but I, you know, I, I think I told you I've, I've leveraged it to do some research. Mm -hmm. I leveraged it on a couple of, um, you know, papers that um, I wrote. Um, actually, it was, I think I mentioned this, but we have taken uh, just trying it, uh, like papers from 2018, and right. said, okay, here are five new concepts that we've got, weave them in, freshen it. And then all I did was like, I did have to go back and, and edit the paper, of course, but I didn't have to start all over, you know, and it's the scary thing is it can even you know, re-communicate back in your tone and your voice. It's kind of crazy. Now, I would never use it to, to replace, in my opinion, creativity, because where does creativity come from? The, the mind, I believe. But Our heart and soul. Yeah, yeah that's our hard. heart and soul. That's the way I look. I mean, that's, that's the differentiator. For now, we've got the yeah. human's heart and soul, right? Our ability to have true, genuine compassion, not programmed compassion, mm. which I still think that people are going to be able to tell the difference. 
um, that's one of those things that humans do well. You know, you can be in front of somebody and you can nod your head in a way, or you can, you know, make yeah. a facial expression in a way that's going to, it's going to evoke an emotion in that other person, or at a minimum, it's going to show them that you're feeling something. And I cannot get my head around that disappearing. So, you know, and, and denial might be somewhere where I'm living right now, right? But I think I, I know that there is potential for change, but I do believe that there's some magic in that human to human. You know, so I'll tell you, um, it's in personal life too. So yeah. my parents were celebrating, quick story, my parents were celebrating their 50th anniversary and, you know, we're having a party about like 175 people or so. And I'm the default party, party planner in my family because my siblings want no part of it. And so <laughs> when you're doing that, you're always trying to think of like, what do people, what would these guests want? And so, and what would my parents want? And so we came up with this idea by we, I mean me, um, that we're going <laughs> to write a little personal letter to each of the people that are attending. These are people that have known my parents from before I was born, a lot of wow. them. And what stories they must have. So I sat my parents down, I'm, like, I'm gonna interview you and I'm going to write letters. So I interviewed them, got all this information, but I'm looking at a blank page and I'm freaking out. I'm like, I don't even know where to start with this. <laughs> Let me see, ChatGPT be able to help? So I type into ChatGPT, tell me a letter that I can give to thank friends on the occasion of my 50th wedding anniversary to show them how much they've meant. I'll be damned if that was not one of the most eloquent things that it spit out. No. Oh yeah. I mean, I was, this is the moment where I was like, this is mind boggling to me. So of course it was, it was eloquent. My parents and I are not going to talk like that. So I went back and said, can you do it a little less formal? Sure. And then it came back with the perfect version. I'm not going to use the same words, but it helped me remember what I needed to say first. Like, right. This is my opening and this is my closing. And then I'm going to go personalize with their stories in the middle of it. The, it was so powerful. Wow. Everybody who you ask about that party, that letter is the most important thing to them. And I lean on beauty a little bit for it, but not wholesale. I made it in the context yeah. of what we needed to do. So yeah, it's, um, it's personal life, professional life. It's there. It's probably there to stay. So let's figure out how to make the most out of it for ourselves. Wow. So that, um, I was going to ask you this question that I'll ask you now, and you just answered the first one, which is okay. don't be afraid to leverage and, and utilize chat GPT, but you're a, a really busy professional. You've got your own business. You're an author and um you're speaking evangelizing gosh you're on social media you're everywhere basically and you got a family you got a life and you know our listeners are probably very much just like you or they're like you right so um they got their own their own story um if you could share with us just like three things that you do around productivity and efficiency and how you manage your life that would be kind of fun, I think, for people to hear. Like your call it your your, you know, the professional women's hack for getting through the day, right? Survival, <laughs> survival mechanism, right? Um, yeah. So let's see if I can come up with a couple. So the first thing I think is mindset, it always is. I gave up a long time ago this idea that there's some work-life balance. That's BS. Uh -huh. Because at yeah. the end of the day, there is no balance. Life is always going to be more important than work. I don't care who, I don't care what. And so the idea then becomes, okay, this is a big fat, my life is this blob, right? And this blob is sometimes going to need to spend a little bit more time in the work zone, and then it's going to have to move back over to the life zone. It's impossible, I believe, to do both of those things at once and do them really well. So we look at the context and we say, okay, 
I got to be, there's nobody else that can do this thing at the job. So kids, I'm going to need to go do this, but then I'll come back and I'll help you with X, Y, Z. Even though I know X, Y, Z was really important, but I knew that the thing that needed to be done at work was only something I could do. So it is, there is no hack just by the way, that's going to help you do that other than being able to prioritize and have a really good um, idea of who you are and what you want to be and what your life is about. And that brings me to the second hack, which is a million years ago, I read this book by Stephen Covey, and it was almost kind of cultish back at that time, but it was um, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. I got certified in it back then, and it was kind of life-changing. And I sound like a dork. It it was. I mean, I was in my early 20s when I did this. And it made me look, it had me do an exercise about if it was my funeral, what would I want to hear in that eulogy? Okay, so tell this to a 23-year-old. Why am I here? I don't want to talk about this. This is ridiculous. <laughs> but guess what? It's your homework. You have to do it. And I did it. And I'll be, that paper is in my office, in my home office on the bulletin board from 20-some years ago. And wow. it's, it says on there, the person who cared, the person who people could rely on, the person that always um, had my back those types of things. And so when I have to make a decision, it, it's going to lean on, on those things because it's that end game. And when you sit down to do your calendar, this is kind of the next hack, but you have to look at what is the most important thing and slot that in first. So if I look at my week ahead, like Sunday night, you know, which is drudgery, but I'll do it, is these, this is the stuff that has to get done this week. My daughter's going to college. I'm going to need to take her to the store to go find things that she needs for the dorm. That is going in the calendar first. That is the most important thing in my life right now. And so that's going to go in there first. Now, the next thing, you know, my son, he's got um, medical things for school that need to be done. I'm going to put that there a second. Then once those are done, which, and I always hope that there's not too many of them, <laughs> because then things from work are going to get pushed into the next week, right? Then I go in and slot my meetings and the things that I need to achieve for work. But the trick is to try to be proactive as you can. Because the more things that you do on time as you need to do them, the less drama there is later because you drop the ball. So that's something, and by the way, very wow. hard, very hard to do. And yeah. so it's a constant battle that is. But yeah, you've just, you got to have the right mindset and know what matters most. I think that's really good advice. Honestly, I'm going to look at the calendar um, adoption. So the okay. one thing, um, there was a, a hack that my business partner gave me not that long ago. But he said he, he um, creates a sticky note and he puts the five things that he's got to do today, just five. That's it. And he puts them up there. And if he does nothing else, those five are going to be done. That's, that's it. And he's been getting them done. See, that's amazing. So I'm going to try that. So I do the one thing. Mine is the one thing. And it goes back to being proactive. What's the one thing I'm going to do today that yep. is proactive that's going to prevent me from having problems later? Yeah. I like the idea of five. That's ambitious of him. I'm going to try it. But one thing, I mean, That's then I know ambitious. it yeah. grounds me in the reality of what life is. It's so easy to get caught up in the minutia and the nonsense oh, and the time is. wasters, right? Yes. So one thing is going to keep me from veering too far away from, from what it is that needs to be done. So yeah, I like that. Yep. Okay. So there you go. All right. So let's talk a little bit about you. Um, Tell, I, I'd love for people to just know, you know, a little bit about your background. You just mentioned your kids and I think you're, and you're in Chicago, um, but just a little bit about just you and your journey. Yeah, I think, um, so for me, it's got, it's so funny. You get to this age where you're just like, it's been a journey already instead of like yeah. on the journey. So I feel like I'm at a point now where I, I understand myself well enough to be able to look back with some insight. And I'll say 
curiosity has gotten me really far in my life. Wow. I've always been that nosy person who I'll hear something. I'll be like, I'm going to go find out about that. I want to learn about that. And so that started early in my career when I was doing sales, it was account management. And I would learn things and my instinct would be to go help teach the other sales professionals it. Yeah. So more of that, and I'd make my quota be done, you know, get what I need to get done. But then I'd go, I would get so much joy from doing this coaching. And so I thought, hey, maybe someday that's what I want to do. To be honest, I want to be a teacher, but I was too greedy to be a teacher. <laughs> um, and so I just went down the path of sales, switched different kinds of sales, got into large deal pursuit, but always leading on that human to human connection. There's yeah. no sale that I've ever done that didn't have that part of the equation in there. So the people that I've sold to, they've always known me, who I am, and have been able to see that what I am and who I am is based on what matters to them in that context. Wow. That's been huge. So like what matters to me is what this thing means to you that you're yeah. trying to sell. And so then later on, I decided to get my own company because I got tired of people trying to templatize people. Mm -hmm. So I worked for a company and they just had a 60 some page template that I had to fill out for every customer. Wow. Yeah. Oh, human beings. There's no one size fits all. And this nonsense nobody even believes in. So I left. It was the hardest thing I ever did. But I learned a lot in that moment, starting my own company and learning things like accounting, which I loathe, but I had to learn it. Yeah. Curiosity fielded. So I think for me, being a mom has probably been the most valuable learning that ever, which, by the way, I don't think ever stops. Um, yeah. And my kids now, they're at the age where I survived them being teenagers or mostly. My son's going to college now. My daughter's going in August, so it's got a month left, and my son's going next year. I mean, this is a really crazy point in life where now it's all like, did I prepare them? Did I do what I needed to do as a mom? So working, being a mom, being a wife, all those roles, I think my intention has always been to give the best I can. And that's one thing I can say I have. Has it been perfect? No, not, not even close. But there's never a doubt that you know, mom, for example, didn't do the best she could for us, or Anita as our consultant didn't do the darn best that she could. So if I had to sum up kind of my journey, it's been that commitment to, if I can't do my best in it, I better not do it. Because what's the point, right? My name is the only thing yeah. I've done. When I, when they all said and done, that's the only thing I really had. And that part of that legacy was I, when my eulogy happens, people need to know that I was somebody they could trust and somebody mm -hmm. that was there to help and guide and make just the journey a little bit easier so yeah. everything kind of goes back to that piece of it but yeah college is scaring the heck out of me man oh i know i mean yeah mm -hmm. it really is yeah. i know well i have one who, who just graduated so i got one out and then another one that well she's taking a hiatus yeah yeah but that's okay we all <laughs> well, she's learning Right. She's at a different point in her journey. You know what? I'm excited. She's home. I love her. Um, she's curious. I know yeah, she's she curious, is. Right. So she's yes. learning. So yep. there's yep. a lot to be said for that, too. There is. So if you think about, let's think about your three top priorities as you, in your own life, could be professional, personal, as you think about the next 12 months. Yeah. Or so just getting these 12 months, getting my yeah. daughter to school, get helping her that transition. That's number one beyond everything, period. Um, you know, the next thing is kind of just helping me get through that. Mm. And they're different because who I have to be to help her get through it is different than who I have to be to get myself through it. There's just a lot. There's a lot there. So self-care is going to be a big priority over the next six months or so. 
Um, and then for the business, you know, it's always grow the business. But to me, I think it's going to be focusing more on my training class and my um, psychology and sales, which I've kind of veered a little bit away from because different people have reached out and I've had to help with different things. Boundaries a little bit is yeah. probably important when it comes to the business. But those are the biggies. And as you can tell, like this college thing, it, it's my kid going to college, but it is consuming. Oh, it's very consuming. Yeah. 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 Parents aging and yeah, parents aging, children going to college. These are the things that we're kind of into now. And it'd be foolish to think that those things don't impact the business and how I work. So flexibility is important to me. So yeah, that's maybe not three, that's maybe seven, but (laughs) so tell me, um, how do you take care of yourself through all this? Right? So you've got you know, and I'm a similar situation. I've got, you know, aging parents. My mom um, has an apartment with us and, um, you know, a, a business and, you know, kids and all that stuff. But well, what do you do to take care of you? Um, so because, like I said, I've gotten older and now I know my crazy, I can manage it. I My daughter's going to school on the 17th. I am yeah. right now looking where I'm going to book a trip on the 18th through the 22nd. Oh, so very I'm nice. not here sobbing. If I need to sob, it'll be next to a pool with some drinks. <laughs> um, and that's a big self-care thing. Because if I'm here, I will mope. I will be in, sitting on her bed, like guaranteed. So get out, get that first, like that first real painful time. Go spend it somewhere where you're not sitting in her room the whole time. <laughs> so that's a biggie. That's really important to me. Self-care is also spending time with my friends and nurturing those relationships, right? Because those enrich me in my life. So those are probably two biggies. So let me ask you another thing. I love to always ask my guests this, which is you got a favorite book that you could recommend to um, people to read. Yeah, there's a couple. So I was thinking about this um, because I've listened to your podcast before. I would say there's this one book I read. It was called Maybe You Could Talk to Someone or Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. and Gottlieb was the author, Lori Gottlieb. It was brilliant. It's fiction. And it was just the journey of a therapist and then the clients. And it was wow. Oh, interesting. And I'm I'm just obsessed with this mental health thing, especially since the pandemic and seeing kids go through it. So that was a biggie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next one was also fiction, and that's called Leaving Time. And I won't there's no way to talk about it without spoiling it. So it was it was really well done and it was surprising but it hit a lot of the emotions. So these, both these books, the reason I love them is because they, they hit the heart and soul, right? So they, mm-hmm. they got me on an emotional level. And that's what I found. Those are the books that always stay in my head. Business books, I read all the darn time, but yeah. they don't move you as much. Well, most of them don't move you as much. <laughs> the ones that have a story um, that you yeah. can <laughs> Okay, and so do you have, my daughter always asked me to, she's asked me to ask you this question which is, do you have a hype song, like a song that, you know, your go-to and, and what is it? Gosh, so this is interesting. <laughs> so it's a little bit different probably, but one of my issues in life is that I'm always looking ahead, left, right, forward. I'm just, it's hard to be in that moment. So yeah. there's a song called um, Right Here, Right Now by this band. It's Jesus Jones. It's like from my generation, like 90s. Uh-huh. And there's something about that song that it just makes me have to center. Like it's basically right here, right now, there's no other place I want to be. Wow. And I, it's mindset like, Hey, look, you're here, do what you gotta do today, be the best you can at it. And just don't worry about all the rest of it. So that's a big hype one for me, just because it's about mindset. Yep. 
Well, thank you. Thank you for that, Anita. And um, thank you so much for being here with us today. And I, um, Anita Nielsen beat the bots. And I hope you'll come back because there's so much more I want to talk to you about. Um, And I, uh, you know what, maybe we'll just record when I see you in Chicago. That would be a lot of fun. Well, Michelle, you're good for my soul. And I love this podcast. So thanks for having me. Thanks so much, Anita. We'll see you soon. Hey, it's Michelle. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoy our podcast and know someone who you believe would make a great guest, I would love to hear from you. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn and let's talk. I'd love to hear your feedback. And as always, may it inspire you in your own personal and professional journey of life.